If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to a completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday. Tuesday. It's Tuesday, right? Smackdown Live Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday. March 28th, 2017. Yes, that's the voice of Ian Ferguson. Hello. I'm back country. <laughs> Ian has his nice little heating pad on his on his nice small tummy, round tummy. Mm. We're going to talk about lots of great stuff. YouTubers run amok. Nintendo Switch doubling production. Uh, we'll also be taking maybe a Q&A or two, and we'll be talking about maybe the best trailer in the history of trailers, Justice League. <laughs> Ian, what's going on in your side of the world, even though your world side is my side? Uh, we are on the same side of the world. Uh, not a whole lot. Um, I'm trying to get back to the doctor sooner than later, uh, just because this is annoying. And I want to find out if uh, he's at all interested in trying the injections. Oh yeah, on the old stomach. So oh, is that like uh, uh, the, the abdominals? Is that to make you better for basting? Yeah, you... yeah, it will make me uh, juicier <laughs> and more flavorful. Um, they're going to use that really big needle gauge, the one that just inserts the whole cloves of garlic into your meats. Oh, you'll smell so good though when you walk into Luna. Yeah, yeah, it'll be amazing. Um, but I, I'm at this point mentally where like I just need to know if it's gonna work or not, so I can, in my head, get to this place where I know if it's just gonna be a waiting game because this is just driving me insane. Um, Bonnie and I uh, renewed our Disneyland passes uh, for our anniversary this year, which actually would have been like days before I kind of got sick. And uh, I hadn't had a chance to use them since she had gone up a few times with friends or whatever. But she really wanted to go with me, so we planned, okay, at the end of this month we'll go. And they got me a wheelchair, and of course everyone at Disneyland was really nice, but uh, I just learned I can't go and do things, <laughs> which is kind of upsetting. And, uh, you know... Uh, you know, this is more depressing than I really want to talk about. <laughs> I can't go do shit. I can't like fucking leave my house for more than like two hours at a time, and I can't. I can't go distances. Like the drive was miserable. Like up, you know, and it, it was it was fun to were, see like my friends and stuff, but like the whole time it was just like, were you, like the fucking fetal, pain. The fetal position, like it, going along, I, it just sucked. I I had to keep fidgeting and like it. When did you? When did, at what point were you like, this is not a good idea? Let's turn around. <laughs> In your head, uh, pretty pretty fucking quickly. Well, you figure I'm going to tough it out. I'll try to. I wanted to try to tough it out because one of our friends, you know, didn't have a season pass, so she was paying for her ticket up front mm -hmm. to kind of gather whether or not she wanted to get a season pass. So, like, I didn't want to be, and we had carpooled up with her. I think that was kind of the the thing. It was if it was just Vani and I, we could have been like, okay, well, this is not working you know we'll just go back but anyways it was still nice to see the park and you know I, I could get on some of the dark rides and stuff but yeah yesterday like reaffirmed in me like okay no i just don't go on field trips <laughs> well hopefully you're uh, a little better for 
couple months from now, we'll see. Or actually, six, six seven weeks from now already. We'll see. For uh, our international getaway. Otherwise, I'll be taking the train up to LAX by myself. Uh, you know. Yeah. So what's been going on in my life, you ask? Well, not much. I do. <laughs> what is going on in your life? What am I doing? I'm going to WonderCon this weekend. Go see Vani. I will see Vani. Yeah. I'll also see uh, Andre Meadows of Black Nerd Comedy fame. He'll be there. I see my old uh, colleague Tommy. I told you about him before. He's I've met Anaheim. Tommy. That's right, you did meet Tommy. I like Tommy. Tommy's I had a taco a... with Tommy yeah, once. You, that's how everyone that you know through me you had a taco. <laughs> I had a taco with Frank. You had a taco with James, Tommy, uh, Andre. I don't think you had a taco with Andre when he visited here last year. Mm, we'll say so. Anyway, and we'll see what happens. Um, I'm interested in seeing what like, what that is like a normal, more normal comic convention versus the nutty San Diego Comic Con, right? And, and the hustle and the bustle. You know, and maybe actually looking at comics. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll buy like a, 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 a tier C superhero first appearance, bronze or silver age appearance, you know, like Doctor Strange first appearance. I can probably afford that, a beat up one. I might be interested. Interesting. And then I always wait till after the movie comes out before I do that. But I didn't for Iron Fist but and, and for Luke Cage. But again, B level heroes that only get Netflix uh, series and not movies. So it doesn't affect the value. <laughs> always ask Vani at a convention what they may have there because they don't display everything and sometimes they have some pretty good stuff for All decent right. prices that they um, have other people sell for them. Oh, okay. Consigned uh, comics? Other than that, I, I've started this secondary podcast in the Not So Common podcast where it's turning into a sort of interview podcast or maybe I can interview you one day and pretend someone said, why don't you pretend you don't know Ian? Well, sometimes I don't, but, um, like, I, there's a lot of things people don't know about. Me. I, but I, I spoke to Frank about politics for an hour. That was very interesting. People got a lot out of that. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. I would fucking rather talk about politics than any of this YouTube bullshit <laughs> any fucking day of the week. I cannot tell you how little I fucking care about these little fucking pieces of shit on YouTube running their what? mouth. I would rather get into you about policy, get into it with you about policy, than I well, would ever talk about hey, any of these little fucking well, whiny children ever again. You're going to have to book after guys like uh, Norm the Gaping Historian. Uh, Brent Black will be on in the future. I talked to Andre Meadows. I spoke to Rich from Review Tech USA. That was interesting. All handsome, wonderful gentlemen. <laughs> That's fine. You can you can hammer it out with them first. And you, and you had a talk with some of them. I've had I've 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 had tacos with all of them in spirit. Uh, yeah. So that's what's going on. A new Flea Market Madness is coming out. Uh, and besides that, there's that certain NES guide app. Besides the, the certain NES guide book that we know about, and, and there's a certain SNES. I've reached a certain level of exhaustion with your plugging. All right, let's dive into this. So last time on the podcast that you were not a part of, much to my chagrin, we spoke about. I spoke about we in spirit. You're here in spirit. Your heat filling up the room. Talking about, you know, Nintendo Switch has been a big success so far. I mean, you couldn't have asked for it. Obviously, you can't extrapolate it out like some silly people. Like, oh, it's going to do as good as the Wii or better. You don't fucking know that, first of all. But you're, sec- you're pulling some weak taffy there. Uh, yeah. yeah you- <laughs> but it's been, a, it's, it's been a good launch. It has been an excellent launch. For a system that had no launch, it's been an amazing for, launch. For a system that's a glorified open beta with about three games that are probably worth playing so far, uh, you know... It's been very interesting that to sell two million in March, when March is not you know a traditional let's come out with a new video game console sort of launch uh, window, um, and but we we saw the marketing was there, 
Uh, when I saw a Super Bowl ad, I'm like, okay, Nintendo's taking this seriously. They're resting on their laurels a bit with the Wii U, I think. When they're like, ah, the Wii sold a ton. We don't have to spend any marketing dollars, right? Because that works. Mm. And it didn't. It fell flat in his face. So, going back to my hour rant about the Switch and where I think it's going to be, I still maintain my range of 25 to 35. Maybe I can bump up to 40 million. I think it's going to do lifetime. But it's definitely going to do all right. So, in light of the demand... And the fact that people are still swearing to get this, uh, according to a Wall Street Journal article, Nintendo is planning on doubling their production. Yeah, uh, from eight to sixteen million. Hopefully, to move sixteen million in a year, which I think might less be a, than a year. Less than a year, which I think. Well, th- I think they were saying from March to March. I think was what the the production run was. Oh, going that's how they're looking. Is right. Yeah, they're looking to do six. Oh, that's right, because their financial year is end in March. That's March right. to March, they want to okay. do sixteen mil. Which um, I think is a little over enthusiastic, but even if they hit ten, they would come close to matching PS4's first year sales, and they would already beat the Wii U. That, 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 isn't that kind of weird to say that? So like, let's say even if I take a very conservative approach on what they hope to sell and say that they're only going to move ten of those sixteen mil, they're 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 already way ahead of their game. But even if they only move original, you know, goal of eight. You know, like oh, yeah. that's still gangbusters, especially in light of the fact that, you know, by the time we get to the the fall and winter, yes, there'll be more games out, but you're only going to have still probably a handful of like must own games that are going to be out in the system. I still stand by kind of what I said um, the the last podcast I was on, uh, where I wish Nintendo well. Um, I want to switch. <laughs> it's uh, like you fire them. Wish you well. well. No, I, I mean, I, I, I hope it. I hope. I really hope it works out. I want to switch. I'm not incredibly. I, di- I didn't find the launch incredibly exciting, um, but I, it is something that I would like to get before Christmas because I do think that if 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 people if people are still thinking about and actively looking at the Switch at Christmas time, where you know everyone is saying, "Well, that's going to be the true launch." If that's the true launch. I, I think you could see it move incredibly quickly. If, and, and that's where they could get close to hitting that actual number of, of produced to sold units that they want. I think they're going to have to. They're, they're pulling. Uh, they pulled sort of much, much again, much to their chagrin, a switcheroo in the public, thinking that to a lot of the general public, this is the first new Nintendo console they've seen in like 10 years, at least, if not longer. Was so, it you, were you and I discussing this, or did I have a very eerily similar conversation about this with someone else, where to a lot of people, I think it was with someone else, where, where this is like psychologically the first yeah. new Nintendo console since the Wii. And since, and or, or even going back further, because even the Wii, while it was advertised decently, they didn't have like a Super Bowl ad for the Wii. They didn't, they didn't have a, like they, I don't think that changes anything just because it was it was it was a household name and sold a hundred million units. Sure, but I think that was more of a word of mouth organic sort of sweep. You didn't have YouTube back then, and or you did, but you didn't have it to sort of push it. It okay. wasn't YouTube in two thousand six. wasn't huge. You didn't have YouTubers to push it. I think that was just more of a general word of mouth sort of grassroots. Uh, you know, Nintendo couldn't have imagined it was going to do a hundred million on the Wii after the GameCube was a disappointment. It did success. I mean, it was profitable, but it was a disappointment still. Mm-hmm. You know? so, so some people might be held. Maybe they had an N64 when they were like 20 years old in college, 18, and now they're 40, and they have a kids, and wow, the Switch is out. 
It's a possibility. But all this comes together to benefit. The success of the Switch, to this extent, would have been possible without the failure of the Wii U, which, which is weird to say, but it is. The Wii U, they were almost there with the tablet, but the tablet was almost uh, it was a secondary sort of uh, benefit to having a home console where, oh, you can go to your bathroom and if the signal's strong enough, you can poop while playing Mario Kart 8. You know, but they sort of then... You had to basically have your TV in the shitter to be able to do that. <laughs> so, they, But they figured out the opposite. I remember some people tweeting at, I think, Andre. He's like, well, someone said, well, what's the difference between the Switch and the, and the Wii U? And Andre's like, well, you can't take your Wii U on a plane. That's the difference. That's a huge difference. And with announcements of... of uh, Rocket League being a possibility to come to the Switch, that's huge. A game like that, the fact that it's portable. Yeah. And it still has... Yes, it's not as powerful as, as a PS4 and You Xbox don't need something powerful necessarily for but Rocket League. But good enough to put something like that, good enough, more importantly, to play a killer app like Breath of the Wild. So while you said you're not interested in getting one away uh, right away, I am. Because if I'm taking a long flight, five-hour flight... Even if it only lasts three hours to play Breath of the Wild, that's three hours of playing a console, well, quote-unquote, game. Sooner than later. There are things that I want to plan there. It's whether I can justify it. But anyways, yeah. I just didn't I didn't need to have one, is, is what I was getting at. And plus, you know, I have my USB uh, charger, and that'll work on on the Switch, too. So you can, you can get some extra juice out of it as well. So, so this is, uh, like I said, this is good news. We're not there yet. But obviously, a third party, like what is it, Psygnosis does uh, Rocket League? Is that the name? Psygnosis? Uh, uh, Psygnosis isn't around anymore. They haven't been around in like a decade. Where did I pull they that turn, name they, out of? They turned into Sony London, in the, I believe, and then Sony London got shuttered. Oh, Psyonix. Cy, Cy, okay, I was close. I was in the ballpark. I was thinking of an old you computer were. company from 25 years ago, basically. Psygnosis <laughs> got bought up by Sony and then shuttered. So, But but this is good, though, for also... It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a feedback loop where Switch does well, you get more third parties... You get more people buying the Switch or taking a shot in it. Rather, lin- lince, lather, rinse, repeat, lince, repeat. I got lost in your in your painful eyes there for a second. Dan, rather, cheese, blintz, repeat. So I will pick this up. Um, it's going to get restocked at Best Buy, and then it's going to be restocked at Amazon as well soon. Uh, Toys R Us just got a restock, and they're going to be pumping these out. Uh, but another uh, good thing that happened was they figured out the whole Joy-Con yeah, situation. Yeah, I saw that. That was good. And it, I mean, it looks like you could probably do it on your own if you had conductive foam laying around. So so what it was is, is I guess what it, it, it made sense being that it wasn't a large amount of people who had the problem. It was a smaller amount overall. But I'm guessing there was some part of the assembly line for some of these where they didn't put that protective foam inside to cut down it was never there yeah it wasn't in any of them no from what i know it wasn't in any of them it was two manufacturing lines i believe were putting them because it said there's two factories and uh one of them like one of the lines was putting them together improperly or something like that because i don't think any of them actually if you put them side by side it was saying have the foam in them but one of them has a slightly different circuit board so one of them must have been causing interference somewhere and the other one wasn't so that foam was all that was it's a it's a conductive foam they put a little block over the the, so um, two the, different runs of, of circuit boards were basically played, and one was causing more interference and Nintendo other. said they've already fixed it so basically you know with them being sold out everywhere anything new that you pick up off the shelf now should be 
good to go. And so you, you think they caught that internally b- before they even got out? And it, or no, I don't know. I'm saying anything that you get now off the shelf should be fine. Um, and I know a lot of people who have them who don't have the issue. And if you do, Nintendo is uh, doing free, you know, repair on the 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 El Joycon. And from what I've heard, the turnaround time is like five days to get it back. Well, this is Nintendo's statement. There is no design issue with the Joy-Con controllers, and no widespread proactive repair or replacement effort is underway. A manufacturing variation has resulted in wireless interference with a small number of the left Joy-Con. It's hard to quantify the percentage. It really is. 10%, mm-hmm. 20 who knows. Every problem sounds big on the internet. Sure. People are like, whoa, this mine has dead pixels. Come on, it's, it's an LCD screen, and they made uh, 2 million of them. Some are going to have dead pixels. That's just the way manufacturing works. Anyway, moving forward, this will not be an issue. So they probably caught that themselves, because the ones off the shelf today were shipped out, you know, at least a month ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's, you need some, you know, some some ahead time, <laughs> lead time. Uh, da, da, da. We have determined a civil fix can be made to any effective Joy-Con to improve connectivity. Do not put near an aquarium. No, they didn't say that. Well, they did say that at first. Uh, there are no other. There are there are other reasons consumers may be experiencing wireless interference. We are asking consumers to contact our customer support team so we can help them determine if a repair is necessary. Great. If it is, consumers can send their controller directly to Nintendo for the adjustment free of charge, with an anticipated quick return of less than a week. Repair timing may vary by region. For any help. Contact support Unfortunately, you'll, you'll probably have to walk through someone on, on a line saying, "Have you tried this? Have you tried that?" Before you get to the point where, okay, it's screwed up, send it in. You know, but most likely, if you're calling, it's probably screwed up. All right, Ian. So you're going to try to get one at some I, point. I would like to. Yes. If they're if they're going to restock like this week, I'll probably try to check. Do you care about gray versus blue red? I, I mean, I would like the more colorful. Blue one. and red, Ian. Yeah. Blue and red. Yeah. So let's talk a little controversy. <sighs> were, you, were you keeping track of, of uh, ukulele to begin with at all? Well, people hated me because I said I wasn't interested in the game. God fucking forbid I don't particularly love collecting action platformers. But well, let's, let's exploratory. Just recap, but, ukulele. but it looks like a good game. I just don't think it would be for me. But it looks like a great game. Um, very colorful. It's kind of the spiritual successor to the Banjo-Kazooie uh, well, Banjo-Kazooie 1 seems to be the um, 3D platformer from like the N64 era that's held in the, the most well-regarded light. Like, Rare's, you know, cream-of-the-crop best 3D, you know, platform game. Sure. So there's a lot of collect-a-thon stuff in it, which I don't love, but... So you mean, like, you have to go around and just capture y- you coins have to, or You objects. have to get, you know, this arbitrary number of things to move on. But I've heard that there's, you know, not a whole lot of backtracking in it. Um, I I didn't play it long enough to care. But, I, you know, a lot of people love it, and this was this is the pinnacle one. You know, it's got supposedly got good flow, et cetera, et cetera. So... Rare kind of stopped making those games like that. They did, uh, you know, the Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, which was nothing like it, and everyone was upset. Was the one on Xbox? Uh, 360. And the the team broke up. Well, they got some of the older Rare members, they got the band back together, and they kickstarted it, and they came out with a game called Yooka-Laylee. And uh, once again, it's two characters like um, Banjo-Kazooie, um, it's got this great, I mean, just the art style and the vibrant colors and stuff alone make me want to play it. And I mean, honestly, I would probably give it a shot. So they raised, holy God, 2,090,000 pounds, 
which is more than dollars by a smidgen. Yeah. Um, and that was in May of 2015. Holy so, shit. One of the more successful gaming Kickstarters, obviously. I mean, it wouldn't take much prodding to get me to try it just because it looks like candy. Um, and the characters are cute. But, uh, so, anyways, um, John Jafari, <clears throat> uh, or as he goes by, uh, John Tron, um, was a, you know, self-proclaimed huge fan of the first Banjo-Kazooie. So they, uh, initially, um, you know, they were happy to get the attention from a big YouTuber. He was happy that, you know, they mutually enjoyed him and he was invited to do voice acting for a bit part in the game and he accepted then John Tron comes out a few weeks ago and starts talking all sorts of insane fucking shit about immigration and race and nationality. And, uh, they decide to drop him, um, from, uh, drop his voice acting from the game. I actually, con- I don't know if you listened to the podcast from about a month back where I commented on this originally, someone asked about how do you separate, uh, you know, like, because John Tron, this was before he went on and did this live stream with Destiny. He went mm-hmm. on and talked. But to this him. was at, probably after the Argon. Uh, That's what I commented. Whatever. On. Yes. Yeah, uh, I commented on. Can you separate the YouTuber or artist from from his art? And that's this decision you are going to have to make for yourself without getting too much into the weeds of what what the conversation was about. And it was pretty rational. I thought pretty reasonable. People agreed for the most part. That was before, obviously, this. So. Um, what I said is still valid, but there's there's wrinkles to this, obviously. So, sure. Do you want to discuss some of the things he said on on the on the controversial stream, or try to avoid that entirely? Do you want to get into it a little bit and, and just give some background about why uh, Platonic wanted to uh, remove uh, John from from the game and not be associated well, with it? Well, I, I think honestly, at this point, we're probably beating a bit of a dead horse because uh, I mean, at the speed that Twitter flies. This this is old news right now. Sure. We can get into a little bit of that, but like I said, at this point, I'd rather just talk fucking actual politics than this shit is driving. I don't. I'm watching YouTube go up in flames as these fucking people who have never had to live a goddamn day in their life. They're, I mean, whatever. Never had to live a day in their life or work a day. <laughs> oh, I just feel like a lot of it is. I mean, I can't make assumptions, but I I I just feel like they've. I feel like it's a bubble that some of these people live in and they that makes them very malleable and to ideas to ideas and they will kind of go where it's very easy to get tides to turn on on people like that. So I feel like what happens is is you you have someone like John Tron um, listen to this, and it's very easy somehow for that to make sense. Something it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to. Certain, I, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to put it in a light of positive or negative. I'm going to say maybe person you, YouTuber A who starts off at 18 doesn't go out work um, like a doesn't a, go to college doesn't go to college doesn't, doesn't go out and get like a, 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 a first part time job isn't doing a lot of. Um, in real life socializing is doing most of their socializing on the internet, 4chan, Twitter, YouTube boards, that sort of thing. Uh, you get very, with without get that them. sort of real world experience, 
then that person is malleable to um, ideals A, B, or C because it's just they they've never seen anything put into practice. I'm trying very hard to avoid po- politicization uh, sure. of this. I'm just We're saying to that keep it general. Yeah. You, if you if you haven't gone to and. You say what you will about college. Some people will say it's bullshit. Some people will say it's not. What college should be, in theory, though, is an exchange of ideas with others uh, and not all the ideas you agree with. It's just to get hit with as many different viewpoints as possible. Whether It doesn't even have to be college. It could just be any sort of scene. Sure, sure. But college is, is where you're almost guaranteed. To me. At least when I was in college. Yes. Nowadays, it's a little bit scary on some ca- some campuses where, the, where they block free speech. It's all the conversation. But you are at least thrown into the pool of ideas and then you have to wade out of it yourself and you pick and choose what you think makes sense that's different than being on the internet like you said going on forums and going and obviously we know the internet's great for for a, a exchange in, a civil exchange of ideas right um going, I've, I've been faking my illness for six months <laughs> but when you go on the internet whether it's a reddit 4chan and there's certain types of people that might congregate and it's all one ideology or one vision of, of how they interpret facts or history. And if you don't have the, the background or to filter through the garbage, do your, being able to do your own research, Search. being able to look at a, a, a graph that may or may not be bullshit in order to extrapolate a larger point, maybe, maybe if you didn't have the training to know statistics... There's that expression. There's lies. There's damn lies, and there's statistics, and which means you can use statistics and bend it to how it looks like to any sort of point you want to make because people don't have the training or knowledge in order to look under, underneath and know what the context usually is of the research those numbers are based upon, I, or even know how to interpret them to begin with. I hate math, but man, statistics was one of my favorite college courses ever. But so I'll say this, and and I'm this is going to come out fairly political, but uh, it's just it's just here. So. We got John Tron, and he does this controversial, edgy humor as of late, and that's going to attract a he's certain. Pie. Uh, well, no, I'm talking about John Tron. Oh, I he's mean, done controversial humor. Uh, I haven't watched his videos. Uh, uh, that's what it appears like, and and it's going to attract a certain segment. It's not just humor, but it's it's things he says. It attracts a a a more right leaning crowd it seems it seems like he has a lot of fans on that side and as that happens more and more people will reach out to him and he talks to those people so i don't know that he necessarily has the that that i guess what you're saying judgment. that background that judgment to to actually be like uh, let's uh, sit down he also seems i don't know too quick to jump online into these streams and just well, that was surprising. Talk. I'll say, I have John's phone number in my phone. Not that he'll probably take my call. But it's interesting because I've, I've, I've known the guy speciously in the past. And the last time I really uh, talked to him, hung out with him, uh, he invited me to ha- hang out at Com Bravo, the last Com Bravo I went to, which was like three years ago. Uh-huh. And I hung out with him. Uh, just to give context, this isn't me saying, oh, Pat knows people or he's bragging. No. Hung out with him, uh, Satchel uh, Drake's. Um, one or two people from Super Best Friends Play, and then also, I think, Shane from Did You Know Gaming, who didn't say more than two words the whole time. I'm not sure. I think he was there. So, John, uh, he was drinking, but he enjoyed discussing politics even a few years ago. Okay. Which is, which is I, I think, less of a heated part it was now, even three years ago. Sure. Um, he enjoyed talking about, uh, I think, I'm not sure if immigration came up, to be honest, but we probably talked about Second Amendment and some other things, for example. So, it seems like this is this has always interested him. Okay. This has been in his, in his wheelhouse. And I, I think people are jumping on board now. 
uh, from various avenues because obviously this was a very heated uh, political season, very polarized. People are basically saying yes. it's basically now or never to talk about this stuff. It's it's harder now to, to hold back. That said, though, yes, there is a judgment factor involved. I'm surprised he went on a two-hour stream and debated someone. And I, and I listened to about 30 to 40 minutes of it live because it was like it was happening. I was like, well, this is interesting, John talking about politics. And he, uh, he'll admit, he admit he wasn't prepared, he wasn't good at debating, and he went all over the map. And at the best-case scenario, he, he came off just looking uh, just woefully ignorant. At, at the best case, even if you wanted best to, case, yeah, even if you wanted to support some of the things he was saying in some aspects, he wasn't the guy to deliver those facts or that viewpoint. He was not a good representative of that sort of case. No. Um, so, um, so what happens awful. then is that you have then um, obviously you're going to have people say what the hell is going on. His his uh, his subreddit was even going after him, saying like what like what the fuck are you doing, basically. <laughs> Um, because he said a ton of fucking really shitty garbage things. Could be interpreted that way. He absolutely could. But here's the ramifications of it. Is that you have someone, a developer, looking at this and saying, oh, okay, we put this person in our game. His voice is in our game. Oh, right. So this is why I didn't want to jump into that right away, though. Because this was the <laughs> point I was going to make. The, the, the real point of this is, if we're talking about ukulele and platonic, is um, people get all fucking mad about it. You know what? The game's not just for you. Uh, it's a kid kid themed game. I mean, it's got it's got things that would appear to kids. They have a brand to protect. People forget that not everything is just target fucking marketed at you. And even if there's nothing in the voiceover work, of course there wouldn't be. That would be um, negative. Parents are at the point, and there are plenty of great articles out there about parents being like. This is what I heard my kids saying because they watch this at the next. They just don't want their children to be associated with this stuff anymore. Platonic has a business to run and 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 a a market to to think about. Well, sure, it's always risk reward. So they're going to piss off some people if they leave them in. They're going to piss off some people if they take them out. Uh, they, I mean, they reached out to him first. Yeah, they got him on board. So. It's on them if, and this is another sort of side issue. If if someone comes to them saying, uh, "I don't want this game anymore. Cancel my pre-order because I want it because John helped promote it." I think it's fair play. Then you cancel that pre-order. I think that's part of it. He was part of the. He was part of the package of the game. He was. Uh, I think that goes along with them. If they want to take him out, they can absolutely take him out of the game. But I think you also have to have to for, uh, play fair then. And if people are pissed about it, refund their money at the same time. Well, because of course. You're, you're basically admitting that, that he was part of the reason why we had this game be successful. We got a big YouTuber on board. He's part of the product. And yeah, now but they no did that works. after. But people want the game because of him. Oh, well, it's not, I, I'm not saying that they shouldn't get refunded. No one's saying that. They got refunded. It's a the, pre-order through Steam. Right. I, I, I mean, well, I'm not I, sure that also carried through to the Kickstarter pre-orders, though. Oh, because that's well, a, that's a different piece entirely. Then, I mean, you should get a refund if that's honestly what sold you. But I really don't think that that's what sold people. I don't think people bought a game because John Tron did voice acting in a bit part. This is their statement from Platonic. John Tron is a talented video presenter who we were initially two years ago happy to include as a voice contributor in our game. However, in light of his recent personal viewpoints. We have made a decision to remove, remove JonTron's inclusion in the game via a forthcoming content update. Ah, so it shipped. Uh, no, okay. it's already done. That was the other point I was going to make. People just don't need, just don't update it. We would like to make absolutely clear that, that we do not endorse or support JonTron's personal viewpoints, and that 
as an external fan contributor, he does not represent Platonic in any capacity. Platonic is a studio that celebrates diversity in all forms and strives to make games that everyone can enjoy. As such, we deeply regret any implied association that could make players feel anything but 100% comfortable in our game worlds or distract from the incredible goodwill and love shown by our fans and Kickstarter backers. I wonder what percentage of people bought this game not even knowing he had a voice in it and would have never have known. That's, that's something to consider as well. They might have brought more attention to this by actually taking him out. I would have never known again. You know, like, I, I don't know if I remember no, originally. I didn't, I didn't fucking know originally. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's their choice. And if they're doing it because they feel like they need to protect their brand or whatever, or even if they're doing it because they just, I, fuck it, who cares? Sure. Which it, br- it's not like he did the voice of one of the main characters and it's going to, you know, drastically change. He, he did the voice of Yuka or a Layla. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings a larger point coming up, Ian. A somewhat large point. It's somewhat connected. Uh, U.S. advertisers and others are uh, pulling out of YouTube and Google because they're not liking the placement of ads uh, right. versus the content they are appearing in front of. Pepsi, Walmart, FX Network, GM, Dish Network, J.P. Morgan... Johnson & Johnson, which is a lot of products. Johnson yeah. & Johnson owns half the world, basically. Lyft, among latest advertisers to pull ads from internet video site. Wow. Um, so this is from Variety, and there's lots of articles on this. I picked a Variety article. I think they're one of the first ones to break it. Uh, so the crisis... Uh, this is it. More big advertisers have joined the YouTube exodus over concerns that their commercials have appeared in extremist hate speech videos... And as the crisis spreads, the head of the Association of National Advertisers on Friday urged Google to take steps to guarantee the safety and reputation of its members. I I, I had no idea there was an Association of National Advertisers, but I guess there is. Makes sense. Uh, So so what's going on? Uh, Starbucks also suspending ads. FGM also said. So there's been AT&T, Verizon, GSK, uh, Enterprise, more than 250 British advertisers. They're freezing spending on YouTube. And Google. So... um Basically, what this is, um, and they try to vet this out, but basically, ads are ending up on uh, pre-video and also pre-roll. On, yeah, pre-roll um, uh, for videos with uh, hate speech or hate content, which isn't even supposed to be on YouTube, anyways. But um, from these brands, and obviously, these brands don't want to be associated with it. Um, likewise. You know, if you uh, if you search for things, you know, Google will keep in mind like things that you've recently searched, and then you'll start getting these ads placed on websites that you go to. Oh, so, sure. So if you go to like, uh, you know, if uh, you know, uh, you're, you know, you go to uh, like a, I don't know, a fucking news site, you can start seeing, you know, you'll see weird like synthesizers advertised for you yeah it's all cookie based a lot of the ads right it's not it's not when you when you buy ads like you do a placement it's not necessarily for specific sites it's just place where people end up going but then i've started to see people like screen cap like you know a a breitbart news article you know and it's a one with a very sensational headline or something and you know it's got like nintendo advertising mario run or something in the corner and you know people are like, why is you know Nintendo advertising this? And people don't understand how it works. And so now you've got these advertising companies starting to get nervous about association with this sort of stuff. And they want, basically, they want to be assured that there's more control and safeties in place so that they're not getting their ads mixed in with, um, you know, like extremist stuff, hate ex- speech. Yes. 
this this is an issue that I've seen come up, I guess, more recently, just with people trying to take down sites saying they will tweet out, "Hey, whatever, whatever." Uh, hey, I was going to say for some reason, Massengill came in my head, but I don't know why. <laughs> hey, hey, Johnson and Johnson, they may, maybe they make that. Um, why are you advertising on this website? Or why are you advertising this? And to your point, they may not know they're advertising. They buy a block of ads right. that gets spread out to wherever. You know, they buy whatever, $100,000 worth of, of Google impressions, or they buy $50,000 worth of YouTube pre-roll ads that end up getting displayed wherever. And it's usually targeted mainly just by demographics, if anything, or, or, or where you live. I've seen local San Diego ads on some pre-roll stuff for YouTube. Mm-hmm. So obviously that would make sense to do that. But besides that, yeah, I'm not sure how much they're really monitoring where these ads are placed or if there's a human factor involved that much. In terms of, because before, like, what, you know, why bother? People are going to see it. Who cares? But like you said, people are now becoming alarmed with it. Absolutely. Let's see what this, uh, what is this? The uh, ANA uh, said, uh, which is the Association of National Advertisers. Uh, ANA strongly believes that brand safety is of paramount importance to our members. The current crisis, they said crisis, is representative of the issues that ANA and others have raised with respect to fraud and risk, reduced tra- transparency, suboptimum measurement, and nebulous productivity. Which all basically just says we don't want our shit on stuff we don't want it to be on. Yeah. We, w- we want our ads to be where we think they're effective, and we don't want our, our brand to be rightly or wrongly associated with other things that people are looking at. Yeah, there was a quote in there where it was, you know, uh, one of their big things is... Um Basically, yes, we want things targeted where we think they're going to be most effective. We want to make uh, the most money, but the number one rule is do no harm. And I think that's what they're most concerned about right now is not doing any harm to the brand image because that's 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 worse than anything. Sure. So, but Google, uh, they're going to nip this in the bud or, bud or try to because this could spread even more quickly. I mean, this may not be bad now, but if you have like 20 major advertisers pull out, what if it comes 100 and then it's like, holy shit. Right now, yeah, it it could get bad. Right now, it's not the worst, um, just because uh, it's it's hard to boycott or or avoid Google products. Everyone uses Google. Everyone uses YouTube. You know, but uh, there are ways around that if it gets bad enough. So they're going to try to uh, hire more people, to, I guess, to look more specifically at the human element to see where these ads are placed. Uh, that's going to be a big one. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, because that's good done. I would, I would think that they should probably root out the videos that, that don't belong on YouTube, though. Well, I think that's that. that my position is that's going to have to be a big stance on it. Is YouTube needs to hold up its end of the fucking bargain first? Sure, absolutely. Um, updating its ad policies are going to do Google. They said better enforcement of those policies, like we said, and new controls for advertisers. And this is what Pata said for a couple of years: is that we're going to get to the point. Maybe not tomorrow, but soon, where advertisers will, will come up and say, we want our ads specifically placed either with this, with this MCN or this block of YouTubers or this block of content. Because right. that's how it works with TV and radio. I don't, if I get a TV ad buy, I don't just say, put my ads wherever. No, it's priced accordingly based upon where it appears. Yeah, it's is it in prime time? Is it at 3 a.m.? Is it in front of a news show? Is it at the Super Bowl? Prices change because the impact of those ads change. And we are finally getting, unfortunately, to Google to a point where it's maturing, where advertisers are saying, all right, this we have the control. You need our ads, Google. Google has to at least break even on, on, on YouTube. 
Yeah, Luna, Luna's best advertising comes during the adult swim hours. Is that where you, where you see Reseller Pack show up still? Yeah, Was that the last new commercial that Luna did? I don't know. It might have been. <laughs> well, you should advertise on YouTube. That would be great. <laughs> Why is it Luna a sponsor of the CU Pocket? Uh, <laughs> right? I don't know. Uh, so I... Just not not to belabor the point about the YouTubers um, and the bigger ones doing things that might harm how YouTube looks, but I think that must be looked at as well in the grand scheme of things. Yes, because if you have the biggest YouTuber uh, acting like a bratty child and and not understanding that this might look bad, not just not just for me personally, but could affect all of YouTube, I think eventually Google uh, and YouTube might might have a harsher stance for for some people. Not saying they're going to cut you off entirely, but there might be repercussions. I think uh, of the certain YouTubers minding their P's and Q's mm-hmm. at some point. If it gets to that, if it gets to while well, this is really hurting our bottom line, if it gets to that point, you might you might have uh, some people being uh, spoken to probably more so than in the past. But they've already taken steps, I think, in doing that. So that's a business after all. Alphabet. They sort of changed their name. It's kind of weird. Uh yes, we can finally. Right, the wrongs created by way forward. <laughs> Have you reviewed DuckTales Remastered yet? Oh, you did, didn't you, finally? Yeah, we did. <laughs> Two years afterwards. It's like a year. <laughs> I still thank uh, Alan, regular Nintendo, for sending that to me. Good old Alan. Yeah. Um, so, we're getting the Disney Afternoon Collection. It's going to be by Capcom, and it's going to be similar to... Um, uh, it looks... Uh, for reasons, uh, uh, to the um, the Mega Man Legacy Collection that they did, uh, I believe, two years ago. Um, the Disney Afternoon Collection um, is going to have uh, Tailspin, um, DuckTales, DuckTales 2, uh, Chip and Dale, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers 2, and uh, Darkwing Duck. Um, so it's going to have uh, the six main actual Disney Afternoon entries in it. Um, it's going to have a lot of the similar extras from uh, the Mega Man Legacy Collection, like the production artwork, um, probably the remixed background music, um, the uh, promotional you know, assets, the artwork and all that stuff will be in there. Um, time attack modes, boss rush modes, um, and a cool little feature that will let you rewind when you're making mistakes. So if you're like uh, practicing for a time attack, you don't have to restart the whole game. Oh, you can so not necessarily a save state. It'll be you can go back. There are save states too, but yeah, you can. You'll be able to rewind your mistakes and stuff too. So you know if you're if you're screwing up on practicing like a specific part, you can you know keep rewinding until you get it right, which is really nice. And uh, it's those little things that that really make. Um, Games that people speedrun or games that people play for high score, it makes practicing it awesome. You know, one less menu to go through or so much less to have to actually play through. Um, there'll be a variety of filters for each of the games, just like there was. Full 1080p. Um, yeah, a bunch of different filters. There will be the uh, the original um, upscaled graphics. Um, and it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Um, April 18th. It's coming to PC, PS4, Xbox One. No Switch announced yet. I oh, That's almost like blasphemy. If it's six NES games, not going to be on a Nintendo Switch. I think it'll eventually... It has to eventually come out on the Switch. 
Right? Why, why wouldn't it? Uh, I think it will. I mean, it really should. Is that, is that almost like a crime not to have it come out on Nintendo on a Nintendo console? Yeah. I uh, like, Even like 3DS, you can put it on there, you know? I don't want to say too much. And I, I mean, I didn't say anything until after, but I, I, my, I have a friend. And uh, he's friends with a friend. And he, he, he texted me uh, a few months back, and he goes, So... Tell you something about a game. And the last time he he did this, it was uh, Ducktales Remastered Way Forward. Uh-huh. I was like, I don't know, it didn't go so fucking great the last time you wanted to tell me about a game. I said, is it going to be that bad? He goes, Well, actually, it'll almost be like that. Never happened. <laughs> and I was like, I, <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> And I, he wouldn't, you know, exactly tell me what was up, but I, I made a couple of guesses, and he made a couple of, uh, of uh, light confirmations, and I was like, thank freaking goodness, like we can just get like the two Ducktales, because that's all I wanted out of the original Ducktales was just like the first two of them in like a pack. That's all you wanted? Yeah, that's it, what I wanted. It's the first time any of these are being offered, correct? Uh, well, it's the first time, yeah, any of them are being unaltered, are offered unaltered. On uh, a modern console. Yeah, because the original wasn't an unlockable on remastered or anything like that. Um, so these are strong. I'm using a certain NES guide app to get the average star rating. That's, that actually has a purpose here. They're all strong They're all strong games. Uh, Tailspin's the weakest link mm-hmm. by far. Mm, I don't think Tailspin's... Uh, people have disagreed with me. It's been one of those... Not as polarizing as Battletoads, but some people... I think either kind of like Tailspin or don't like it. I don't think anyone says that Tailspin's a very good game. I don't no. think people out there saying that. Uh, no, I'm just saying, well, yeah, I'm saying that it is the weakest one in the bunch. Um, I'm not huge on Darkwing, but a lot of people like it. I still think it's a good game. I haven't played it enough. I mean, when we played it, remember, during, we were, during the last yes. play, I was bad at it, but I started to get the hang of it yeah. as I got through. I never really played it as a kid. It's 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 good. Um Chippendale, four Chip- stars. Chippendale is outstanding. DuckTales is outstanding. DuckTales 2 is really good, just not as good as the first one. We'll do the star ratings. Chippendale, four stars, and that was you. Yeah. Uh, three and a half stars, for, that was you. For two, right? For two. Yeah. Uh, Darkwing Duck, three and a half stars by you. Yeah. So that's still a good rating, yeah. three and a half. Uh, DuckTales, five stars. Absolutely. From Ian. DuckTales 2. Falls off a little bit, four and a and half, half, which is still excellent. And then uh, the last one I I did was Tailspin and two stars. So below, I gave it a little below average. Yeah, they're, they're all... I, I, Tailspin, yeah, doesn't really do it for me. But all the other ones are good to great games. Hey, I'll give you two and a, If you want to argue two and a half for Tailspin, I ain't going to give you three. I might give you two and a half on that. But, you know, that's it's... It's still there's still not a bad game there though, and they're all at least Tailspin is still competently made and has good graphics. No, it has great. You know? It has good graphics. It's just it's 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 Capcom. Uh, it's they're too not, weird they to be a shooter. They don't do well on shooters. Capcom. They they they, they think too much. They they go you know. Well, they have some good shooters. They they're all, they try to be too little too fancy with stuff like Section Z where it's like we got to do a little. We got to you know there's do something more straightforward with Tailspin. I think would be a, a better success. Than sure. What they ended up with. Um, so this is going to be this is the good news though. Because I was afraid of the price of this. I said, if this is like forty or fifty dollars, no one will get it, and it'll be a big mistake. Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine is insane. I would have got That's it a good for price. forty. 
Okay, I probably would not have because I figured that's not worth the amount of new content versus what's you know what they're just digging out of mothballs and slapping a fresh coat of paint on if anything. But nineteen ninety nine is great. That's what Mega Man Legacy Collection was priced Perfect. at, and I was happy. No, Mega Man Legacy Collection, I believe, was priced at forty, and I was ha- no Mega Man Legacy Collection might have only been fifteen bucks. Let's see, Mega Man Legacy. Yeah, I think that, I think that might have been fifteen bucks digital, but it might have been like thirty uh, well, it's, physical. It's twenty at Best Buy. Okay, right now. yeah. No, it was cheap too. Um, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. If you you gonna re- buy a game for three dollars each, an old game three fifty each, I think that's reasonable. I don't. No, think- I think you're right. The, the reason I I, I I I felt like I would have maybe paid more, or people would have maybe paid more for the Disney Afternoon Collection is um, the Mega Man games have been done and redone over and over again. Oh yeah, they just this was a nice collection with promo stuff. Um, you know, they did a new, like, machine code type of thing to, you know, get it very accurate, you know, basically perfect. Um, but, uh, you know, those games have been, they're out there in so many ways. It doesn't matter how expensive the original NES carts are. Uh, now, that's a question. Will this affect the price of the original carts? Don't care. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's not us care now. People, people are wondering. Uh, no, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it does. It, it 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 didn't change the price on the cards of the Mega Man games. All right, Mega Man Five. I mean, is constantly crawling upwards. Mega Man Five is insanely expensive right now. It's the most expensive one all, of all of them. Mega Man Five. Holy shit! Eighty six dollars estimated value. Is that around right? You think? Yeah, if not a little bit higher. That might have actually oh. been a little bit lower than what I remember it being last time. Eighty six. Um, I would have put it in the ballpark of a hundred, but okay, so that sounds about right. Four is at thirty-one. Wow, yeah. Well, five's hard to find. Absolutely. Uh, six is only about fifty now, but I mean, basically, they didn't—they didn't change. I think these are still games that, for collectors, they're going to want them, and there's going to be a a desire for them. But what I'm getting at is, you're probably right it probably wouldn't have moved at much higher than 20. I just thought at 40, it might catch some people's curiosity because they know things like DuckTales 2 and Chippendale 2 are hard to find. I just think it's funny. I thought my app was broken at first because I, I filtered on Capcom published games. I never heard that Nintendo published Mega Man 6. six. So I, was like, I was like, uh-oh, bug. I was like, nope. All right, so Mega Man 6, the value is $46. So those two games are alone, let's just say about 130 Yeah, you're, versus just buying this, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, Again, a, a true collector... Whatever. This is a great deal. I just wish they had a Gummy Bears game to play, because I love Gummy Bears. I always, always thought they got the short end of the stick when it came to DC Afternoon. They, they sort of led off, led the way. It's one of the only cartoons. That was on for like five years, uh, Gummy Bears. They actually had an ending episode, which is kind of rare for a Disney Afternoon cartoon, let alone any cartoon, to have like an actual finale. Yeah, most just stop. You know what I mean? Like that's, I think they had like a two-parter. Like, it actually, like, brought it to an end. So that's like, good on you, Disney, for doing that. That's pretty respectful, as an aside. On a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than 20 bucks a month. Whether you're shopping for the geek in your life or you are that geek, Loot Crate is the best surprise you know is coming. I've spoken about it before. Loot Crate always has some nice stuff on you. The t-shirt every month, the exclusive tee, is always great. I was just wearing my Power Rangers one a few days ago. There's a nice Robocop one you see out there getting worn. At least that's worth it. There's always something exclusive as well every month. Go to LootCrate.com slash Pat, enter code P-A-T-PAT to save 10% on any new Loot Crate sign-up. The April theme is Investigate. 
Join us as we salute some of our favorite mystery solvers with items from Stranger Things, Batman, The X-Files, and Marvel's Jessica Jones. One lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate, mega crate, including signed copies of Jessica Jones, alias Volumes 1 through 4. So if you want to get in on the April theme crate of Investigate, you have until April 19th at 9 p.m. Uh, Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. When the cutoff happens, that's it. You're going to have to wait till the next month, unfortunately. Again, go to lootcrate.com slash pat, enter code pat, P-A-T, to save 10% on any new subscription today. So GameStop is looking to close at least 150 stores, potentially up to 225. Wow. Based on the percentage they were using, they're saying that they're going to be closing um, up to, I believe, three percent, two to three percent of their stores worldwide. Um, <clears throat> Seven thousand five hundred stores, so that could be up to about two hundred twenty-five stores. Um, they say that this. Well, they said that this was a decision made three years ago, as part of an effort to uh, just you know clean up underperforming stores. But this is also trailing off of a, a fairly poor holiday season. Now, I'm not. I, I, we talk about GameStop a lot, and there's reasons. But I, if we're gonna talk about, I, and I would like to talk a little bit more about the the the, uh, the business aspect of this, GameStop eventually just kind of becomes a catch-all term for chain video game sales in the U.S. Sure. I think um, they have poor policies uh, on things and, and et cetera, but really you don't really have many other options. So when it comes to it, brick and mortars, it's Indies or GameStop. So, I mean, really they are kind or, of the state or the big massive stores like Target, Walmart. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm talking like specific. specific for games. They're, they're what's there. So for better or for worse, if we're going to talk about the industry, the, the state of the industry of a retail video game store that's not independent, there is a huge difference, luckily, in favor of the independent right now. Um, it has to be GameStop, so people need to stop crawling down our throats so much for that. Um, this was after a really bad uh, uh, fourth quarter in 2016. Um, their profits dipped by 13.6%. Stocks plunged 31%. Which is Awful for that's, stocks. That's insane. That's like your company, your your CEO is getting replaced. The board is going to change. That's thirty one percent. Might not seem a lot if you're not at this. That is incredibly and big it, shift. And this is once again, I don't want to. GameStop has plenty of things they don't do right, but this is this is why I don't want to sound like I'm hammering on GameStop. This is um. It, it, the losses are, are, are attributed to uh, these losses were made in sales of both new games and consoles, um, and uh, which GameStop attributed to aggressive console promotion by other retailers on Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday, as well as weak sales of certain AAA titles. I can absolutely see that um, by other retailers. They're not saying brick and mortar, uh, and this is where I'm going to go with with a lot of what I say next, but. Um, Amazon was having killer Black Friday deals on consoles. Um, I mean, that $100 3DS was oh, that's a, right. a freaking scoop. Um, I mean, those are normally $200. Stuff that's probably for Amazon what they call a lost leader. Amazon may not be making money on that, but they're going to get you to buy their shit on right. this website. That's a $200 system that for one day only, uh, uh, that, that 
doesn't even have a normal release. Um, every other time they've released that version of that system, it's been 200. Uh, you know, they did it for 100. I mean, that's insane. They, they were bundling PS4s and Xbox Ones, and I mean, all of these things were... Um, they were making really attractive package options. Um, not to mention some of GameStop's, GameStop's availability throughout the holidays, at least in San Diego, appeared abysmal. We couldn't keep our PS4s in stock, and it's not just because we offer a decent price, it's because no GameStops in San Diego had the amount of stock in. Sure. So, once so you're, if you're going to venture out to a brick and mortar, you want to at least go to a place like Walmart where you know they have it stocked. Right, and, and it, that's the thing. GameStop's... Uh, because they specify just in 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 games, their stock of these new systems, it seems like they're they're erring on the side of caution on because they don't want them sitting around. But then what happens is they don't have anything to sell during the holidays. Sure. And plus, by their perspective, they're not making a bigger margin on it versus their their pre owned. Uh, right. They're not as making as big of a margin. I mean, we don't make any margin on new systems, which we generally only carry during the holidays. Um, but. You know, Walmart is also probably making a much larger percentage because they're buying in a much larger number. Could be. Uh, but also, this is just... A, a, in, in the AAA titles uh, that sold um, were probably... Yes, I'm sure they were weaker sales. Um, a lot of the titles that came out that were supposed to be AAA around the holidays, I don't remember exactly what they were, but I don't remember anything like being... like lighting anyone on fire necessarily i think like final fantasy 15 was like one of the big games and that was a that was a that was a a, a well-received one okay but i know a lot of things were getting middling reviews but what i think it really comes down to is a lot more people are shopping online if you play video games and you don't have amazon prime you're being silly uh because we we'll talked about it why in a second yep um well, because it, it, it discounts. I mean, so, yeah. So, if you don't have Amazon Prime, you're being silly. I think a lot of people do their shopping for games online. It's, it's um, 20% off of most new game releases for, like, the first two weeks. Yeah. 20% off. So, yep. I went on. I don't own a Switch yet, but you know what? I got Breath of the Wild for 48 bucks plus tax with free shipping. Yeah. And, um... Plus, digital downloads. Was, this is where I'm going. Yeah. Digital downloads... I think a lot of people are getting to the point where they don't care. And especially, like, on the West Coast, I, I, I would love to see a chart of big... I, I would love to see a graph of big name or study. Numbers. Give me... Give me, give me, give me Damn lies and statistics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love to see some numbers on how physical AAA game sales do... At West Coast GameStops compared to how they do on East Coast GameStops. Because on the West Coast, a game that comes out on Tuesday, you can download at 9 o'clock when you get home from work on Monday. Gotcha. Do you see what I'm getting at here? We'll release it at 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. on that Tuesday. You don't have to wait. I don't. So the West Coast doesn't have to wait. There's a lot of population on the West Coast. A lot of times for me, that's like, especially like if I'm sick, that's do I want to get up tomorrow? Uh, if plus, I have the plus day, it's off, the same price, uh, no. same price or cheaper. I mean, if 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 you've got like a promo code waiting okay. around or something, but it's like same price, especially if it's like, for instance, I like to play a baseball game every couple of years. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not going to sell that baseball game back. It's worthless once I fucking take the shrink wrap off of it. So I'm playing it with my buddies that night. You know, absolutely. I, I feel I feel like that that is also going to impact things we're gonna, a lot. We're going to see we're going to see a huge hit. Not to I, this is one thing I responded to Colin Moriarty uh, a couple months back because he said that you know uh, physical uh, digital games, all digital games is the future. I think we're always going to have physical games for a, a bunch of reasons. But one thing that's going to do in may not do in obviously something like, someone like Target or Walmart because they don't just sell games; they sell a bunch of stuff. But what's going to do GameStop in is, is when. What Colin said is that there is a certain point where you can lower your price for the digital sale and still make the same amount versus the physical because of the cut that someone like GameStop will take. So, but even if they lower their price by like five dollars on a digital release, the publisher is still going to make the same amount of money, if not more, versus the physical. GameStop's going to take a bath because then if people are actually incentivized to buy digital games with with a price... Oh, well, for sure. I've been saying that for fucking ever. That's the point where GameStop will be gone in like two or three I've years. I've been saying It'll that for, for years. I mean, I remember yeah. saying that back when Xbox 360 actually, uh, the live arcade, um, actually started selling full games on there because I left. I was like, fifty nine ninety nine. I said, we're going to get to the point where I said, all they need to do is offer a $10 discount. I said... I'd say five. I'd say just something token. Five with no yeah. tax. Yeah, you're, five with you're, no you're tax. You're only saving like nine. Or yeah. ten. And they're probably still going to make $10 more than they would yeah. have off of the physical sale. But, you know, throw us a bone somewhere. But, see, you don't have to... What they what they do now on, say, like... Um, what they do now, say, on, like, uh, um, the PSN network is... You always get these games released at, like, the full fifty nine ninety nine. But now it's like Steam where the prices on these things get slashed so quickly. Like, you'll get a flash sale, like, in a month. And I saw, like, a snowboarding game that I was interested in two months after it came out was on sale for, like, 25 bucks. Maybe not, like, a primo AAA, but something that was still decent. You're like, all right, now it's on sale. Yeah, it was it Ubisoft up. Steep. It was, like, 60 bucks, And then, like, I was, like, I almost, like... I almost bought it because I had, like, beaten whatever game I was playing at the time. I was like, well, I need something else to do while I'm sitting around. And I was like, I really kind of want to play that. I'm like, no, I'll wait. It'll go on sale soon. And, like, literally the next week, $25 instead of 60 And I was like... See, that's worth getting digital versus physical then. And I was like... Because you're not going to sell okay, it back. Yeah. Even if you sold it back, you probably wouldn't get half your money back for yeah. a game like that. And, and then, you know, the next week it was back up to 60 But it's just the, the online marketplace... Even for consoles now, and it certainly hasn't caught up to PC, but for consoles now is definitely in an area where you are starting to get some value on the digital releases that you aren't seeing on physical releases, making it more worthwhile. I've picked up games for fifteen dollars uh, on digital sales that were still going for sixty if you bought them brand new in store. Wow! So they're they're they're. There is something to be said for patience in waiting out for that digital release or sure. that digital sale. This is what the CEO Paul Rain said about um, the video game category was weak, particularly in the back half of 2016. Like he said, there wasn't a lot of huge games that came out. Uh, no, but we also said that's because of the biggest names in gaming haven't updated their consoles in a while. Rain said. I'm not sure what that means. I guess he, he, there wasn't any new new consoles to come out because that's the way it's always been. You're not going to get a new console for every... It's like every five years you're going to get a new console. But I guess they've been, they've been through the roof, though, about the Switch, though. It's like, oh, people have a reason to come back to our store. But they don't stock a lot of them. So when I went to, to my local GameStop, they were just offering in-person pre-orders for a package, not even for just a Switch. They wouldn't right. just, they wanted to say, 
you know, give me just a switch. Let me pre-order a switch. No, because that's not how they make money. So they wanted to bundle a hundred and fifty dollars of crap I didn't want with it. You know, it was just like, all right. So out of all that, I'm paying four fifty plus tax, and basically what you're doing is you're throwing in a free Breath of the Wild fucking strategy guide. That's basically what you're doing, which is basically costs you nothing uh, to get. That's what you're doing. So there's no easy way out uh, for for GameStop. They break into Rocky Four. Uh, <laughs> But but this isn't all that their umbrella company does though. They have other ventures, right? So um, even if the actual Game Stops go away or they transition to being mo- mobile phone stores or whatever, they're going to turn into Spring yeah. Mobiles, which are like uh, like uh, tech and mobile carriers, and then probably like uh, uh, so they're going to be turning into tech stores and uh, collectible stores, as they say. Which I believe. Oh like. yeah, when I went to there, I, I I saw a lot of more T-shirts and toys yeah. and little trinkets that I did before. So they've got Spring, they've got Think Geek, they've got all those other things that they could um, turn these closed spaces into. Are uh, these these these? Yeah, the stores that they close, they could turn these into uh, physical retail locations for that stuff where they're actually making money. Why do you think when you walk into the our local GameStop, it's you know? Honestly, sixty percent fucking tchotchke bullshit. Sure. As a, as an aside, I think Radio Shack's in trouble again. Oh yeah, second bankruptcy. And uh, our local store, I think, is finally closing, and that makes me sad because Radio Shack was one- sort of one of the most wonderful experiences as a child. Walking in and seeing all the radio control cars and the little handhelds, the originators, and Tandy of, computers, the originators of Tandy hair, Tandy hair. I've been making jokes about Tandy hair since the video game years. I don't remember that. That's all right. All right, go back and watch the video game years. Someone has to watch that show we pour our heart and soul into. Uh, so we're saying, oh, yeah, GameStop's going to be out of business by uh, it is current for, let's say, by 2022. It'll be gone. All right. You want to watch the Justice League trailer together just so we get a recap of yeah, it? Yeah, let's, let's, let's do this together. All right. So where to begin on that Justice League trailer, Ian? November comes out. We have, uh, was it Wonder Woman in a few months, right? A couple months? Yeah. Um, <laughs> where to begin? The fact that, are they searching for sunlight? Is that the Justice League yeah, issue? I, I mean, I think that's what it's got to be. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> we're we're going to try to be... Uh, I know we have uh, people, half it's going to get 50% down votes just because people are going to say we're DC haters. I'm not going to try to say that Ian likes some DC stuff, and I do, because that's the truth. Yeah. But this does not look appetizing to me. No, it doesn't it doesn't look appetizing at all. So, here we go. For the first I believe you'll recall that I actually tried to say some positive things about the the teaser trailer. Did you really? I was like it could be f- funny. I mean, they're trying to show What's our stenographer? Oh, I was just like I, I, no, I didn't have anything positive to say about it. I didn't have anything <laughs> negative to say about it. I You're said, neutral. I said, okay, I said, they're trying to add some levity here. And I said, okay, Bruce is going around cracking jokes. Oh, the Comic-Con stuff. one. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. But this doesn't really show anything. But they've gone to the Zack Snyder area of humor. Yes. Where every line delivered is-, is funny. Besides, I think, uh, the, the Barry Allen delivery of The Flash, everyone else are right. citing lines as if they tr- are trying to sound cool. And and that's what I realized on this, was only Barry Allen's delivery is actually humorous to me. Because it's natural. Everyone else is delivering cringeworthy... Quips. Quips. I'm rich. 
Which is, I don't think, well, I don't know if Batman would ever say that, first of all. You guys ready? She with you? I mean, it's... Oh, dig the suit. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like I, a bat. It, 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 all of these, all of these comedic levity moments are as fucking uh, stiff as the dead corpse Zack Snyder fucks in his backyard for pleasure. <laughs> they're all like four or five words long, and I mean, they're 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 just they're miserable. My bigger problem though is, and now it's it has nothing to do with Zack Snyder um, loving uh, prison rape or. <laughs> touching dead bodies inappropriately. Uh, it has everything to do with the fact that I never need to see another movie that looks like that ever again. It, there's a greenish-blue filter put on everything Yes, that makes it... I, I You want nice hues and contrast to your comic book movie colors. Yes. You could do something darker or more serious like Civil War and still be able to tell that Spider-Man's suit is red and blue. Right. Like, that's not a bad thing. You can have daytime battles. Hell, like, all the fights in Civil War were during the daytime. The only one you can say was murky was the last one, but they're in the fucking Arctic. So that's why it wasn't sunshine coming through. But everything else was, like, daytime action, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah. I everything mean... you can tell is green screen to death. All the fucking fight scenes look like cut scenes from video games. Uh, especially the, I mean, uh, Jason Momoa looks fantastic. He does. But having him uh, come up and jumping, you know, in front of a green screen, throwing his harpoon or trident, you know it's a green screen shot. It's, it looks like the same exact bullshit from the beginning of Man of Steel. Like the same sort of aesthetic. Rocky and craggy backgrounds. It's just it's just it visually looks, uninteresting. It looks like every movie he's directed since um, 300. I'll even say, uh, this Cyborg, Cyborg uh, does not look good. In terms of the, once someone, someone tweeted me one of like a PS PS3 cutscene, and I don't disagree. When you first see him, it's shaky, but they yeah. have time though. They do have time. Yeah. They have about uh, seven months they could fix. This, they can fix that, which is fine. So I'm not going to get on that. I'm just getting get on the fact that um, it just seems kind of still tone deaf to what I think the Justice League should be. Mm-hmm. You you probably are a bigger Justice League fan than I am. Uh, oh yeah, a bit more. I mean, I, like I said, I do like DC, but. Um, I'm also not like a huge Avengers fan, so much like I mean, it's kind of the DC analogy. I the the super teams don't do a whole lot for me. I prefer more individual stories. Um, but yeah, I do. That is the problem. I do actually kind of like the Justice League, and it just it doesn't seem like a good fit. Just like, um, fucking Man of Steel didn't he, fit. Even the fucking Batmobile scene is, is, is all CG. It's not. Uh, they couldn't find a real fucking road. Well, what's for sad that? is, like, I feel bad for Ben Affleck in this. I feel bad for a lot of the people acting in this, because it's like, I just imagine that that's not a very fun movie to film. No, it's like doing the, it's like doing the Star Wars, Wars prequels. Movies, you're, yeah. you're just in front of a 50-foot green screen. I'm, I'm trying to... Honestly... I don't even want to bring up the word Marvel in this, because then people are going to go fanboys this and fanboys that, but at least Marvel looks like they're using at least a decent number of good sets. Besides, I'm trying to see. There's the one outside where Affleck's looking over. That looks like a real shot from a helicopter. There's like inside uh, Flash's little lair. That's a real set. Wonder the bar's Woman. a real set. Yeah. But all the battles are all just CG to hell. All of them. And that's what, besides Wonder Woman, like sweeping the guy. In, that's what I'm saying. That, that, that part looks. But everything else, though, 
I'm sorry, it just sort of turns me off. And you can say, well, you're nitpicking. No, I, I mean, we're too used to it. Because, I hate to say it, Marvel is, is figuring out how to do it, incorporate things together. I no longer have the fire to get so worked up about it because I, I knew better, I guess, than to really expect anything different. But the Barry Allen character is fairly interesting. That looks interesting. And I'd like Jason Momoa, and I... I have lost faith in this attempt at making an interesting Aquaman, but I, I still kind of want to see what they do with it. However, I just don't want to watch another movie like this that looks that way. It just way. looks all gritty and ashy, and you're like, all right. If, if the DCU somehow manages to move on beyond this, maybe I will go see the Aquaman movie well, if I want to see how Aquaman is... Portrayed. I think, or I'll see to, the Flash movie to think, go see how that's well, portrayed. Wonder Woman also has the, those muted colors. Uh, uh, yeah. So I think we're trying to work through the Zack Snyder aesthetic. That once you get the Justice League, and hopefully after that, it goes away. You'll get a colorful. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, the Green Lantern movie because it's supposed to be multiple Green Lanterns. Uh, uh, interesting. So, so that'll hopefully be colorful. You're in space. Flash would be better to have color. I will say this. I will give this uh, trailer credit. It doesn't give away the main villain. Nope, that's a great point. <laughs> and it doesn't give away spoilers, the fact that Superman's going to be returning to this somewhere. Yeah. So that's that was good. Well, hopefully well, hopefully the next trailer doesn't. I think they'll probably have to do some sort of reveals by then. They're going to have all the posters anyway. You know? Yeah, but I mean, I do like that. The, yeah, no, this uh, and, and you know, just to prove I'm not a Marvel fanboy, I have not watched the Spider-Man trailer and I will not watch the Spider-Man trailer because I heard it. it was a horrible mess of bullshit with tons of sp- uh, well, spoilers. Well, it was spoilerific. I might talk about it myself, but it was too spoilerific. So... It- Credit to them for actually making this not spoilery. Unfortunately, it showcased too much of that shitty directing style I don't want. Can we talk about the trailer having a, a Beatles song about peace uh, being, a, a, you know, sort of... The, I, I, I guess they, they, they thought there was successful because of fucking Suicide Squad using Queen and getting people excited about that trailer. Well, they heard, they, they um, heard the words come together and they were like, well, yeah. all the superheroes yeah. are going to come together, you, so... You could definitely know that was a Zack Snyder so, song. <laughs> well, come together! Even that Beatles song should be taken literally, right? It's not about, you know, peace and harmony. It's about, you know, people battling... Getting together and bugs and throwing <laughs> tridents through them in front of a green screen. That... that I, I, if, if, if I showed that to Frank, he would probably th- throw my laptop at, through the window. Patrick, please. <laughs> Please. All right, we're gonna move on to the last thing that I can do for the evening. No yeah. rotten tomatoes. You want to go to no, the Q and A? We're gonna we're gonna pop ahead to the Q and A. Just just the one. At uh, keeping up gaming. This question is more to at Pixel Sickle. That's you, Ian. Do you think the notion of the customer is always right still holds true? No. <laughs> But hold on. I was not expecting that curt of an a- answer. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it around. I think I can get something good going. He doesn't care about his customers. Oh no, I, I do. Um, <laughs> I think the customer is always right. Is a fucking shitty platitude from you know the fifties. The the, yeah, the fifties. And, and customer is always right. Yeah. No, fuck that. Um, that's <laughs> awful. Uh. The customer is always a warm, fresh burrito. 
Um, what? Every new customer is a potentially delicious transaction. A wonderful transaction. Their, their, their potential smoothie, that was just... It, it, it's, a, it's a potentially fantastic thing. You don't know until you get a couple bites in until that you know if that customer is full of gristle or just perfectly crispy Tenderly. fries, cheese, <laughs> carne asada, guacamole. Oh, it makes so, a na- nacho reference. So you, you have to approach every customer with the optimism that it's going to be a very delicious burrito. Now, of course, you're going to bite into some of them, and it's going to be all rice. So you're saying we all have a flour exterior. We don't know what's on the inside. We don't know what's on the inside. Okay. So you, you you really have to give um, you know every customer the chance. Every customer, every first-time customer, every second- or third-time customer, um, maybe they had a bad day first time, but I, I approach them, and I, as a matter of fact, a customer who I had a bad experience with the first time, it really bothers me if if they don't go out of their way to be like if they weren't like out of their way to be disrespectful, but they were like kind of rude or curt or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it bothers me. I try to figure out where I may have gone wrong, or maybe they're just having a bad day. So I'll bend over backwards the next time they come in if they come in because I want to. I just kind of want to figure it out. If they're back, okay, then you know what was it. And a lot of times they're nice. So I, 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 it's not the customer is always right. It's the customer always deserves the benefit of the doubt, I guess is what I'm saying. The customer always deserves the benefit of the doubt initially um, that they're not... They deserve a bite or two. They deserve a bite or two. They're, they're not going to... They're not... You, you, you can't have that... And, and see, this is, this is the difference. I'm not actually as cynical, I think, sometimes, or as jaded against customers as people think I am. Um, jaded. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I lost my thought. Pain. Hold on. Um, but, oh, the problem is is I've been to too many stores where every time you walk in, you are treated as an inconvenience as a customer. And that's absolutely the wrong way to do it. You've, you've, you've got to treat the customer with some respect. You've got to go into, you can't go into every situation with a customer expecting it to be miserable. No, the customer's not always going to be right. And if that customer oversteps their bounds, is harassing your customers, is berating one of your employees, is berating you, no, they're not right. And I will literally tell them to get the fuck out of the store. And that's okay. Um, There's definitely a point where they are no longer right. But I try to, like I said, I, I work with them, try to give them the benefit of the doubt. I watch my wording until that line is crossed. How quickly can your... Uh spider sense sense that this is going to be a bad customer or a bad dude you've been doing this for a long time within a minute 30 seconds 15 second interaction saying hello you can sort of sense something that all right this might be a problem customer i i try not to make any judgment call for a minute but i i can usually feel like if something's going south within about 30 seconds but i mean i'm it's not always accurate like i had two two guys come in tonight and they were the type who were like really loud and boisterous like who really wanted to make their presence known like uh when they walked in like yelled hey yo and you know they're slapping yeah. the overhangs as they come in you know and you know they're blowing like, it up yeah yeah you know yeah blowing it up and they're like uh, you got any free stuff? And like, they're just being obnoxious. And I'm like, this is not the last customer of the day that I want. But actually, they ended up being really nice. And, you know, we had a chat. And it was just like, 
you know, they, they were kind of excited to be in the story and they ended up being fine. Um, so, you know, that initial gut reaction isn't always right. That's what I'm saying. You gotta, you gotta go into it thinking this is going to be a good burrito. You gotta, you gotta be like, yeah, okay. You might see some grease dripping out. You'll be like, all right. The wrap isn't very good on this, but. I I might lose some on the first bite, but I got faith that (laughs) it'll hold together. I I gotta, I gotta, (laughs) I gotta get at least three bites in. So, yeah, the customer's definitely not always right, but you can't. You can't have the the customers always. It, it's a it's a great line, and yes, in retail, I think we all always say it uh, from time to time. If you watch Mall Rats, customers not always right, but you can't go into every situation with the customers always an asshole sort of. Um, was there, uh, was there anyone else that surprised you in the opposite way recently, where you thought they were going to be perfectly fine, and then it turned sour somehow? Yeah, that happens. Uh, that that can happen too. Uh, I had a really nice. Um, so we don't do cash refunds on hardware. We do 90-day warranty, mm-hmm. and that does not mean we will not give you your cash back, especially like if you if you were to buy like a Vectrex from me sure. and it broke, and I didn't have a, a Vectrex. I'm not going to be like, well, you're out of shit out of luck. You know, I'm like, yeah, okay, here's your money back. I'm going to give you your money back. But as a general rule, if you buy a PlayStation 3 from us, it says on receipts and on signs, all sales are final, but we give you the 90-day warranty, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I sold uh, a PS3 to this nice lady and um, her husband. They were early 40s. I went through all the different models with them. Super, 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 super nice. They were having a, a little confusion with with some of the stuff. And I mean, they weren't like too far off in age from us, but they, they just, they didn't, they hadn't played games in a while. They wanted to get back into it a little bit. Uh, they wanted a Blu-ray player as well. So they were looking at a PS3. I explained all the models to them and, uh, I sold it to him. And the next day, Chris calls me and I, I, I mean, I have the day off and he's like, I've got this woman screaming down my throat that she wants her money back right now. And that we sold her a broken system. I'm like, wait, what? Who? Broken game. Broken game. And he goes, uh, she said she talked to you yesterday, PS3. I go, well, is she there? And and he goes, yeah. And I go, did you hook it up? And he goes, yeah, it's working right here on the TV. She said it doesn't work on her TV. And I was like... (laughs) not possible <laughs> i said so they're doing a sony tv <laughs> right and it was just one of those situations where for like four days she would go home it, it, it was like it was like a t- it wasn't four days it was like two or three she took it home she's like fine well i'll take it back home but it's not working on my tv so something's wrong with it and it's like it's not how it works it's not how it works you just don't know how to fucking set this up so anyways after like three days and, and like she came back in and saw me and it was just a fucking shit show and you know this was like i said this was fairly recently so it was when i was not feeling well and she's just laying into me and i'm like why are you doing this you were so nice the other day and it hit me a lot of times when people do this it's when they buy something realize they don't want it anymore and they just argue, and they just say it doesn't work. 
And I'm like, well, I can I can get you another one. We have another one. I wasn't even out of them. I hooked another one up, showed it working, and she's like, well, I just, now I have no faith that these products are going to work out. <laughs> blaming, blaming Big Sony, that's funny. So I was just like... She probably didn't know how to set the proper, you know, video signal. No, or something no. Like what that. I'm getting at is what they do is 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 people will occasionally buy these products. They'll get buyer's remorse. They'll decide that this is not something they wanted to do, and they will just insist until we work. give them the, the, their money back that it, it's broken. Even when we can show them it working perfectly fine on our cheap eighty dollar HD TV that is roughly the size of my laptop screen. Well, so so what what is the what's the uh, the moral here? Oh, um, the moral is uh, the customer's not always right, um, and uh, but you gotta give them all a chance. But sometimes the nice ones end up being not so nice, and sometimes the prickly ones uh, end up being just fine. So I just saw the Spider-Man uh, Homecoming trailer, the final trailer, trailer number two, and I have some very mixed feelings on this trailer. Let's first run down what's you know what's going on here. So we got Peter in his suit, which sort of conforms to his body, like Marty McFly's clothes in uh, Back to the Future 2. You know, um, you got the high school angle going on, which I do like the strength of the amount of scenes that you see here. One, I think, one of the problems of the original Spider-Man uh, trilogy with Raimi. Well, one, he's he graduates high school halfway through the first movie. He's already out. Uh, out of there, and I think it's good to have at least one full movie within with him in high school. Because remember, in Amazing Spider-Man, he didn't graduate until you know two and a half years in to the comic before he actually graduated. It was like issue twenty-eight, Molten Man. I think it was twenty-eight, and he gets he gets beat up, and then he shows up to the graduation with bruises all over his face by getting fists of you know bronze in in his beak. You know, but um, I I like Tom Holland's portrayal. I always said that going back to the Civil War. I always thought he was very, a very strong choice. He's got the cute little Queen's accent. Um, he's just the right height. Spider-Man's not a big guy. Uh, he's not overly muscular. He's like a gymnast. Uh, you know. So, the quips are still there. Uh, I'm not, again, a, a, a fan of, of him having a friend who knows his identity. You can say, yeah, that's how it is in the Ultimate. I, okay, I get it. I just don't like it. I don't like the fact that off the bat he has... You know, one of the, one of the uh, not it wasn't necessarily an appeal, but one of the alluring parts of the character was, you know, he couldn't tell anyone that he was spectacular. You know, Flash Thompson, uh, the guy that would bully him in high school, loved Spider-Man. So here you have a kid getting bullied by a, a guy that actually lo- likes who you are, that you're hiding from the world, your alter ego. You know, that's that's interesting to me. Uh, they they show him, you know, you know, basically. Kissing, smooching uh, Liz Allen, who finally makes an appearance in a Spider-Man movie, in the sixth Spider-Man movie. Uh, Liz Allen in, in the comics was a love interest that never, but they never clicked because Liz Allen in the comics was like, you know, the, uh, you know, sort of the snobby, you know, uh, you know, you're lower than me. I'll never talk to you. And so in here, it looks like he, they they connect. Um, I understand why Tony Stark's in this movie. I understand why. Iron Man has, you know, looks like he he plays a decent sized part. He's going to be in at least a few scenes, uh, because the they Marvel and the MCU 
need that relationship with Spider-Man to carry through to make sure this movie is successful, and vice versa. Sony wants to make sure that, hell, you know, we're buying into, you know, being co-opting this character in, in with the MCU and producing this together and sharing in the spoils, we, we should marry the two, you know, the visions of the, of the two together. That makes perfect sense. And, and make sure that the popularity of one, you know, benefits the other. Spider-Man is the biggest Marvel character. He should be in movies like Civil War. He should be in Avengers Infinity War. And so, and Sony wants the benefit of being able to have Iron Man in their movie. Robert Downey Jr. gets a payday. More people will see this. Even though I would argue that Spider-Man, regardless, would be seen. But yes, more people will see this just because of uh, Iron Man, who's you know sort of the the face of the MCU for the past wow nine years already. Well, yeah, Iron Man was two thousand eight already. Wow. That said, specifically, uh, this was not a well put together trailer. It gave away way too much of the plot. And, and beats, you already see that. All right, spo- this will be spoilers from a trailer. Uh, we see that you know it was just one small part of the original teaser. Spider-Man holds together the ship, the ferry that's getting torn apart by a blast, energy blast. But what you didn't see in that first teaser was Spider-Man coming to the rescue and helping push it back together, and then basically taking Spider-Man's uh, outfit from him. That's a major, major plot point that you should not have given away in the trailer. So now all the dramatic tension of Spider-Man heroically trying to you know, hold together this ferry from splitting in two and having many people drown, that's, that's gone now. That tension is gone from when you're in the theater. You're going to be, oh, I remember the trailer. This is the part where Iron Man comes in and saves the day and then dresses him down afterwards uh, for for you know basically going off half cocked and then not showing responsibility, it's just too much to show in a in a trailer. I think you could have gotten away with not if even if you cut out those those like fifteen seconds of Iron Man helping and then talking, you know, basically saying what are you doing? I want you to be better than me. You you should have gotten rid of those like fifteen twenty seconds and the trailer would have been ten times better. But it's in there, you know. Then you see him back to his you know old costume. So it's it's unfortunate because when you when you see a teaser, it's it's supposed to tease. The trailer is not supposed to give away every plot point of the movie. But it is nice to see more of Michael Keaton as the Vulture. I think that's going to be a great performance. I think Michael Keaton's always been underrated, and it's good to see him sort of get his due as a as a villain. Uh, and the Vulture has been, you know, he always rumored he was rumored to be a Spider-Man three villain. It was supposed to be Vulture and Sandman before they shoehorn Venom in. So that's good. Um, so I'm actually... I, I still want to see this movie, honestly. I mean, why wouldn't I? Spider-Man's my favorite superhero. Um, I still want to see this movie, but I want to actually see it less now because of this trailer. This trailer, because it gave away major plot points um, and beats, makes me like, well, I don't... I'm not going to have as much fun now. Ian, fortunately... Uh, didn't have to be here for me talking about it because Ian heard how much plot was given away. It doesn't want to see the trailer. And had I known there was this much plot that was going to be in here, I probably would have erred on the side of, okay, maybe I'm not going to see this either. Or, or at least if I caught it in the theater, I'm not going to run out of the theater. But I can see that this was cut. I mean, this is still a Sony's, this is still a Sony movie. They probably cut this trailer to make sure people saw it. They probably put it in as much Iron Man as they possibly freaking could to make sure people. Uh, go and see it, and I and I get that Spider-Man Two, grossly underperformed, which is one of the reasons why 
They made the deal with with uh, Marvel uh, a couple years ago to bring it back together, which we loved on the podcast. We're like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm almost going to cry. I understand that, but then Sony went, I think, overboard here in cutting this trailer together. You can tell because Marvel's movies, the MCU movies from Marvel Studios, they are not trailers that gave have given away every plot point. You know, they 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 don't. I mean, hell, they in terms of advertising for Civil War, you got like two seconds of Spider-Man at the end of the final trailer, and he wasn't in any real marketing either. He wasn't out on the posters, you know. They they kept him out of the commercials for the most part. Um, so it's a dramatic sort of a marketing shift uh, of what Marvel Studios has been doing versus this is what I call the hard sell. Not that Spider-Man needs a hard sell. This is definitely a hard sell to see this movie. Uh, but you don't really need it though. You already have, you know, you could have still shown Iron Man. You have a good villain in the Vulture. You have a uh, hot Marissa Tomei as as uh, as Aunt May, which people still can't get over that being in it. Which you know, whatever it is, what it is. And you have a, a secondary v- villain like the Shocker showing up. So this is going to probably be a fun movie. I think this is probably going to be uh, Spider Man Two is not necessarily a masterpiece, but Spider Man Two the original. Uh, original Jesus, from like 13 years ago already is a very, 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 very good movie despite its flaws here and there like Aunt May being the one that gets you know, captured by Dr. Octopus uh, after the bank robbery it's like convenience and then you have to deal with every single movie freaking really three movies in a row really you have Mary Jane uh, being accosted by the villain and being kidnapped every fucking movie can we get away from that please so I'm hoping and the same thing with, with you know with, with the Amazing Spider-Man movies uh, well, hopefully we get away from that here, you know, where uh, Spider-Man's girlfriend doesn't have to be involved with the, with the with the climax of the film, you know, every fucking movie. So, I I have, I have faith that it's not going to happen here because uh, Marvel Studios is guiding the way here, maybe not with the bad trailer, but overall. So, uh, yeah, go out and see this. We got a good year coming up uh, for Superman movies. You know, if you want to if you want to throw DC into that with um. Wonder Woman, and you got uh, Justice League, but even if you, if you keep those out, you got Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, 2, Thor 3, which people haven't even really been speaking about, that's going to be, I think, a big one as, as well. So, uh, lots to look forward to uh, this year, and then obviously, going forward, it's going to be 75 superhero movies a year, until we're all dead, most likely. Let's talk about Marvel's Netflix show, Iron Fist. Good old Danny Rand, the martial artist. Now, before I get into this, I'm probably not going to touch upon the controversy about those claiming that Danny Rand's uh, ethnicity should have been changed to be Asian instead of uh, what he was in the comics as, you know, Caucasian or white. You know, he goes over to Kun Lun. Um, he learns to be a martial artist. He defeats the dragon. He gets his Iron Fist. That's the story. I have his first appearance somewhere in my garage, which, uh, you know, I wish I had the first appearance of Spider-Man in- instead, because then I could buy a new car, but, you know, the first appearance of Iron-, Iron Fist isn't that bad, but anyway. So, let's talk about this Netflix series, but first, I'll just let you know that I, I really like Daredevil Season 1 and Season 2. I think I prefer Season 2 over Season 1 a little bit. Um, I enjoyed Luke Cage, uh, first half more than the second half, but it was still a good show overall. Uh, Jessica Jones, I I felt like homework. I actually liked the first half uh, a decent amount, and then I thought it was about five episodes too long or four episodes too long, where 
they just it just just it was just dragged out so much with uh, what was it the purple man David Tennant's character it's like oh my god just kill the guy right just snap his neck um, and I think that's one of the problems with with these Netflix series overall obviously they're 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 very they're very good um, it's always good when you have multiple shows with uh, Rosario Dawson I can't complain too much uh, there uh, and, and they're they're mostly respectful and faithful to to the source material. But they are all arbitrary, you know, 13 episode seasons. And I don't know if that's good. I don't know if it's always works to the benefit of shows to have this set length where you have to have 13 episodes. Because that's a lot of filler you have to put in. Say your main story arc's only 8 or 9 episodes long, and then we gotta fill out with other bullshit that leaves in and out that might not be interesting, or may not you know, it may not be enough time for complete story arcs, you know, to shove in these little subplots where it does, you know, you might think it's it's good to have more and more content, but not all the time. You know, brevity sometimes makes sense when it comes to these series. So it's harder to judge something like Iron Fist uh, because of that. But I, I think that the show's writing was not strong. One of the other, one of the other strong points of, of the other series that you had a very good and clear origin story, uh, for you know Daredevil, you know was spaced out. You 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 got the full origin. Luke Cage it was revealed as as well. Uh, for for Danny, you get bits and pieces of an origin, but not really. You, uh, you, they replay. This by the way, this is spoiler heavy spoilers. They they replay constantly throughout the series as part of his him having PTSD, which was a main sort of part of the Danny character in, in the series, what, that he couldn't go, get over the death of his parents through the we learned that was set up the plane coming apart and the plane crashing, um, which that wasn't again another unclear plot point. Which there's so many, but. Uh, just, uh, just David Wenham's character. David Wenham's probably one of the highlights of, of the show. He played Harold Meacham. If you find out that he poisoned the the air, uh, the pilots that Danny and his family was on, somehow then that causes the fucking plane's top to come apart, and you know, and then his mom gets sucked out of the top of it. Again, really weird uh, writing, but you, you're constantly flashed back to that. You get maybe maybe 15 seconds. Of Danny in the snow, in the you know, in the in the Himalayas, wherever he's at, you know, um, crawling around, finding his dead father, uh, two monks finding him um, as well. That's all well and good, and you get like maybe maybe ten seconds of seeing him getting beaten with like you know uh, bamboo by the monks to train him, but you don't see any like martial arts training going on with him as a child. You don't see any teachings from him as a child or even as a teenager. When he's in, in this series he's he's 25 years old and he, you know he's trained for 15 years since he was 10. So you could have shown grown up Danny Rand even years before, say 20 years old played by the same actor, still training, seeing what his regimen is, uh hanging out uh with his friend who does show up oh, was it Dravos? Is that his name? Uh, excuse me, Davos, showing up there um, and really having this person seeing how Iron Fist becomes 
the the man that he is, how he discovers himself, how he gets over. Well, you, you find out he never gets over the grief uh, of losing losing his parents, but at least attempting to that transition period as a child. We see none of that as an audience. So, in some aspects, it's it's refreshing that we're not encumbered with the origin scene of of Iron Fist and Danny Rand and. and you don't see him defeat the dragon. You don't see him get the actual Iron Fist power. They they tra- they change it just to being a straight chi. I mean, you see a couple of glowing dragon eyes at one point, but they really sort of shortchange the origin. And at the same time, though, don't give the audience much of a chance to connect to the character. So when you first see Danny in the show, he just shows up like a bum on the street, and you know fights off some guards, and you know he sees uh, the Meacham. Uh, the Meacham duo, uh, brother and sister, uh, Joy and Ward. And that's real, how you're thrown into the deep end with the character. And I don't think, unlike uh, you know someone like Iron Man, where you see him go from being this asshole rich guy to redemption through escaping you know, his captors, building the original Iron Man suit, you don't get to see that with Danny. You don't go on that journey. And the bits and pieces that you see along the way, frankly, are not enough at least for me, in order to really get a good hold of the character. And Iron Fist is, is to me, even a d- degree below definitely Daredevil. If, if Daredevil is like a B, B-plus character in the Marvel Universe, uh, you know, Iron Fist is like, you know, a C-plus character. So I think it's to the audience's benefit that they would have gotten a better feel for Danny, who he was, and his origin, you know, if not in the first episode, within the first three or four episodes, and I was expecting that to happen at least throughout the way, like they did with Luke Cage, where eventually they did show the full origin. You know, with the prison sequences and what went on there and the experimentation. You don't get that with Danny. And I think that an audience is disappointed if they don't see that. You see a guy show up, do his kung fu, that's great, but where did he come from? We understand his parents died. We've seen that a thousand times in the 13 episodes. But what was the journey that Danny went on? Everything was just just not developed along that path. And then, of course, you know, you really don't get a clear, clear notion of seeing him struggle to leave uh, Kun Lan and, and come, you know, come over to New York City. You don't see any of that uh, journey at all. So it's really Marvel doing something different, and it doesn't doesn't uh, work out. Uh, that well to me. In terms of the portrayals overall, I think they were okay. Uh, Finn Jones, I think, did alright with what he had. He showed to be a somewhat competent martial artist. Uh, I think Jessica Henwick as Colleen Wing was very strong. Uh, I I talked about Rosario Dawson before. Uh, David Wenham uh, as Harold Meacham. Um, You know, sort of the spoilers again, he's the main villain. Uh, a little nuanced. You, you see all the twists and turns of his character and the, the nefarious nature coming a mile away, but he's still a good, uh, good actor. Good old Faramir from Lord of the Rings. Um, I think the standout was probably Tom uh, Pelfrey as Ward, uh, Ward Meacham. He he goes through like three or four different character arcs throughout the uh, the season. He starts off, you know, wanting to kill off, um, kill off uh, Danny. To, in order to impress his father, show that he can do it without his help, against his wishes. 
you know, he, he goes through all the struggle of, you know, never getting his father's acceptance and his father, you know, treating him like garbage. He ends up murdering, finding his friend to murder his father, who ends up coming back, trying to then, you know, eliminate, uh, you know, eliminate his father again, and then Danny, and then he's always looking for, for that strength that he thinks he has, but doesn't exist. Um, on top of that, he has an opiate addiction, which is good to see, uh, you know, in a Marvel show, because that's a huge, uh, uh, it, it's a more and more simmering crisis in America, the huge opiate and painkiller addictions uh, that we have in America, and he showed that off, and then that turned into a heroin addiction. So there was a it was, it was not the cleanest, I think, writing. There was a little bit too much going on with Ward's character, but it there that was, to me, the most interesting arc out, out of any character in the season, even more so than uh, Danny Rand's character arc, which I thought was drawn out and a little too simplistic. You know, the PTSD uh, of, his, of his family... Uh, dying and not being able to harness the chief or Iron Fist. I mean, that's really what his character arc really was. Yeah, finding his place in the world, deciding to, you know, deciding to stay. Sure, I get that, but you know, that's more easily resolved to me, and that's something that didn't take thirteen episodes to go through. Uh, Ward's character, you know, I thought was the most interesting throughout, and I think Tom Pelfer did a great job with that. But overall, though, I thought the writing wasn't there. I just don't. Uh, the final episode was a letdown uh, in terms of what they built up to. It, it just seemed like after they had some really not super elaborate fight scenes, and I'll get into that real quick as an aside. The fight scenes I thought were fine overall. Uh, people were talking about the, how the first one was bad when Danny was in the hallway, you know, fighting, trying to compare it to the Daredevil fights in both seasons where, you know, there was the hallway fight and the one uh, in the building where it was like one shot following it when he fought off the two different gangs. And yes, though that was done very well. This was not done as well. Uh, absolutely wasn't. Uh, that's the direction, uh, more so than the writing and, and the choreographers there. But the fight scenes, they get better. When they fight off the um, the hand, the fights are better, especially the, the hand students when it's Davos and uh, Danny fighting them off together. And then one of the highlights was probably the Highlander-esque fight between uh, Colleen uh, sword fighting uh, against, uh, what's his name, one of the leaders uh, of the hand. Uh, which one was it? Uh, the Sensei. I forget his name off the top of my head. Bakudo. Bakudo, who I thought did a pretty good job. That was one of the highlights. A good old-fashioned, in the rain, uh, you know, katana fight. I thought that was pretty good. But um, the fight scenes are, you know, not what I want to hang my hat on if I'm doing a Marvel series. It has to have decent writing and decent characters. And again, I think the the actors did what they could, but the writing just wasn't there for for the the character of of Danny Rand uh, in particular. And he's the hero; he's the one you want to follow. But he wasn't that interesting to me. He doesn't. He he seemed like a a man child to me in that he made some stupid decisions, impetuous decisions, you know. Um, and the writing wasn't also consistent. So let me give you one example off the top of my head. Madame Gao shows up uh, from Daredevil. Uh, also part of a, a faction of the hand that she leads, and then we we see Danny. Uh, one of the probably one of the bitter, better highlights of the show is when he has to fight off three different uh, opponents. Uh, a, a challenge from Madame Gal in order to free this hell, a woman held held captive, and at the end of it, Madame Gal, uh, you know, forces 
Danny back with like some sort of uh, sort of uh, energy force from her chi that knocks him back. Um, that's the only time you see Madame Gao use that power. And then later on, she's captured by Bakudo's side of the hand, and she's locked in a normal room. It wasn't even like a, a jail cell, like just walls and a door. And what happened to her power to use that chi to force her way out? You know, it's just inconsistent. In the last episode, we had a hilariously, I thought, bad sequence between Danny and um, and uh, the Meacham father, uh, Harold, where he's chasing him with a handgun, trying to shoot him. And they're just like talking back and forth. The arguments like, oh, it was, it was like the most cliche thing where it's like, oh, you do this to your family. No, you tore my family away from me. And it's like the most cliche thing where you have two characters yelling at each other, one with a gun trying to kill the other one. But there's a one moment where Danny sneaks up to him and then kicks him in the face with like a, a, a like a summer a backward somersault jump kick, and knocks Harold to the ground. And instead of uh, pressing his advantage and like knocking him out, grabbing the gun or struggling. And by the way, Harold is not like a big martial artist. Yeah. You see him like knocking a heavy bag around, but he never, you know, he doesn't have the skill that Danny has for sure. So instead of the fight ending right there, for some dumb, stupid reason, uh, Danny decides to run away from the guy, uh, Harold and let him get the handgun and pursue him again, just for the sake of the script versus it making any fucking sense at all. I, I couldn't believe I saw that. It was, that was just insane to me. And then, of course, Danny has problems, like it's always written for convenience, where he has problems fighting off a, a non-martial artist at the end, you know, wielding this, you know, um, I think he had like a pipe or something. And it's like, come on, Danny's taking care of like five guys at once. He could have handled that. You know, so just not, not good. It wasn't good. The writing was not there. Not to say I didn't enjoy parts of the series. I did enjoy parts of it. But this was not up to par with even, uh, I thought Jessica Jones was weak. Uh, but this was the worst of the four series by far. Uh, Punisher, I'm looking forward to. I think Defenders will be good. Uh, the other thing that bothered me was we didn't see even a one iota of the costume. Yeah, Luke Cage, you only saw, quote-unquote, the traditional costume as a kind of a throwaway joke after the experiment um, at the prison when he escapes. But Daredevil got his costume. Um, Jessica Jones, I don't think, has a traditional costume as far as I know. Um, I'm not a big Jessica Jones fan or know much about her, but Iron Fist has has a pretty iconic outfit. You know, he's got he's got that that sort of pirate esque, you know, uh, mask on the top. I guess you can call pirate esque. And it's like, he ties in the back, you know, and he has you know his little boots and everything else, uh, and his little green outfit. And uh, that wasn't to be seen. Uh, you know, it wasn't to be seen at all. Not even a hint of it. Yeah, the yellow and green. Um, he did have the little uh, dragon tattoo on his chest. You know, he did have that. And he did use the iron fist every now and then, and it, and it went away for plot convenience, which I thought, again, that was sort of... If that was the, the biggest sort of arc for the character, losing his chi because he has to go over his parents' death, that wasn't interesting to me at all. Uh, it just wasn't. So, I, it's still worth checking out. I'm, I think what I'd rather see is... Um, not Luke Cage Season 2 or Iron Fist Season 2. Go straight to Heroes for Hire or go straight to the team-up of Luke Cage and Iron Fist. I think that will be a much more interesting show for both characters to see how they interact. And I think they have to improve the writing of Danny. Have him grow up a little bit. Act more like, I hate to say, act like a man. 
Because a lot of times he was a little bit whiny and just unsure. And it's just, that's fine, it, it, bits and pieces, but the character was written to be just wildly inconsistent in terms of, I thought, um, his, his, like, nobility. If this was a guy to be chosen to be Iron Fist, I didn't see why from his actions during the series. I just didn't. It was almost like he was play acting as I should be the defender of the Mystic City of was it Kun Lun, uh, and not it. What didn't seem earned to, earned to me, if that makes sense. And what it might have been more interesting. Hell, I hate to say it. Maybe if he done if he did the first like two or three episodes, uh, him training and learning before he came to New York City. Maybe that could have been a way of, of doing it. It's too late now. So check that out. It's. It's it's not terrible. It's, I don't think it's as horrible as the reviews you've seen, but it's definitely not the best that Marvel's uh, put out. And and the actor, uh, the actor's sort of uh, he's had some f- sort of a, a response. Finn Jones has had some response to the negativity about the series, and uh, it wasn't the best response. He said this. Um, I think the world has changed a lot since we were filming that television show. I'm playing a white American billionaire superhero at a time when the white American billionaire archetype is public enemy number one, especially in the U.S. We filmed the show way before Trump's election, and I think it's very interesting to see how that perception, now that Trump's in power, how it makes it very difficult to root for someone coming from white privilege when that archetype is public enemy number one. Um, I don't think that's the case. Because... I don't see the, the public honestly turning uh, against Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. because they like the way the character is written and how he's portrayed. And I think that, that owes to a lot. I don't think a character like Batman people uh, are all of a sudden going to hate. That's a rich, you know, white billionaire. You know, uh, so I, I think that's a kind of a cop-out from the actor. And I understand he doesn't want his first major sort of venture on his own. Uh, as you know, his first really big starring vehicle to be panned by critics, but no, it's Trump being elected is not why people have a problem with this show. The fact that he's a billionaire is probably, I think, the the least of everyone's concerns when it comes to this show. It's the writing, um, for the most part, and it's the inconsistency, I think, of the characters, and it's the fact that I don't think the way this character was written, uh, I don't think Danny was that interesting as a character the way it was written here. And and that you know it's it's hard to get that past audiences. I think that's what the main problem was here. That's it for this CU podcast. Thanks to Ian for coming out and being a part of it for at least you know for an hour, a little over an hour, hour and a half. Now, if you want to help support the CU podcast and help keep the lights on and help keep Ian's tummy full of burritos, it's patreon.com slash CU podcast. You can watch the full video podcast as a bonus and you know we appreciate that if you want to advertise with us it's cupodcast at thepunkeffect.com as well uh, the ultimate NES guide app and book are out there in the universe uh, check out the not so common podcast uh, check that out that's going to be um, almost every Saturday around once a week and that's going to be the sort of the secondary podcast I'm doing now where I interview one person or have my own ramblings for an hour. But I've interviewed so far Andre Meadows from Black Nerd Comedy. I have interviewed uh, Frank about politics and social issues. I've interviewed uh, also Rich from Review Tech USA and Mark from Classic Gamer. In the future, I'll, re- I'll be interviewing people like 
uh, Mike Matei from Cinemassacre, Brent Black, Norm the Gaming Historian, and more I have lined up. So check out, again, Not So Common Podcast. Uh, search for that. Uh, and that's on, uh, you know, it's on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, the whole nine yards. yards. Yes, RetroPaloozaHouston.com is where I'll be for Retropalooza Houston. And that's uh, the 22nd and 23rd in Pasadena, actually. Um, so I'm going to get going. i got to eat, not a burrito, but maybe some chicken fajitas. It's late, though. And uh, thanks for coming out. And uh, we will see you next time on another See You Podcast.